What you are about to hear is someone's life story, a story that I've been trying to unravel for many years. This life occurred over the course of most of the 20th century in the British Columbian coastal rainforest. My name is Grant Lawrence, and this is the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Chapter 1. The Rifle. I'll never forget the first time I met the Cougar Queen of Oakover Inlet face to face. Our car rattled and bounced down a muddy ditch of a road through the rainforest. There was a rowboat on our roof and the ropes that my dad used to tie it down groaned and ached with every turn, ascent and plunge. My dad was at the wheel, my mom was in the passenger seat, and I was curled up in the fetal position in the back seat. I was six years old and wrapped in a vomit-encrusted ski jacket, having thrown up on myself several times. Such was the effect of the windy Sunshine Coast Highway in the 1970s. Hasn't changed much either. A little wider here and there. We had left the highway by this point, and we were about half an hour down the bumpy, muddy road. Finally, we crested a hill and saw our destination, for our car anyway. An opening in the forest wall allowed us to look down upon an ocean wilderness, perfectly still and silent in the falling rain. Dense cedar rose sharply from the rocky shoreline, and a wispy white mist clung to the treetops like cotton on a Christmas tree. What I remember is that not a living thing could be seen or heard. Yes, we had found our launching point for Desolation Sound, British Columbia. The car sputtered and skidded down the hill on what we felt was its last gasp. We pulled alongside a wooden fence that had been overtaken by moss and ivy, its pickets rotten and overlapping. The sagging gate was adorned with a weathered sign that read, Warning! Private property, no trespassing, beware of dogs. Beyond this sign was a yard, a garden, an orchard, and a little log cabin. Beyond that was a pebble beach covered in driftwood and oyster shells. It was that beach that was the closest possible launching point to the land that Dad had recently purchased on the other side of Oakover Inlet in Desolation Sound. And my dad wasn't about to be turned back now, but the only way to get to the beach was past the signs and through the yard. Well, that's ridiculous, my dad reasoned. I mean, this person can't legally block us from the beach, so let's just unpack here, scoot across the yard, and we'll put the boat in. But not knowing who lived there, 
or how serious the warnings were, we found ourselves tippy-toeing across that yard to the beach, making trip after trip as quickly and as quietly as we could. Finally, it was time to move the heavy wooden rowboat, which Dad hoisted from the car roof and onto his shoulders. The sheer weight of it caused him to tip from side to side, front to back, reminding me of one of those uh, tipsy waltzing toadstools from the... Disney movie Fantasia, as he tried to maneuver through the gate, he whacked the rowboat against a wet fence post. That's when we heard the dogs. My dad's teetering waltz turned into a desperate sprint. A pack of dogs burst out of the orchard at full speed and volume, saliva dripping off of gleaming teeth. Dad flipped the rowboat off his shoulders as I began to cry in panic, and he slammed the hull into the water. Load it up, let's go, let's go! We threw our stuff into the already leaking rowboat as the dogs hurtled the edge of the yard and hit the pebble beach behind us with a crash. Dad threw me into the boat last, grabbed an oar, and spun to meet the pack. The dogs formed a semicircle around us, heads down, snarling, snapping, barking, and closing in. Quiet! The dog's cacophony instantly dropped to a whimper. As they turned their heads subserviently in the direction of their master's voice, we did too. And in turn, we went from ferocious bush dog standoff to staring down the barrel of a rifle. We didn't know it at that moment, but we were faced to gun barrel with a local legend named Nancy Crowther, also known as Cougar Nancy, the Cougar Lady, or the rather regal-sounding the Cougar Queen of Oakover Inlet. So began our family's first meeting with Cougar Nancy, a woman that has fascinated me ever since. But for you to fully understand who Nancy was and how she got to that lonely, wet place at the end of the road and how she earned those nicknames, you'll have to go back to the beginning of her story in the next chapters of the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, my family's first meeting with the Cougar Lady of Oakover Inlet was a tense one. Defying her no trespassing signs, we had snuck across her yard to launch our rowboat for Desolation Sound in the British Columbian coastal rainforest. But her dogs heard us and burst from her orchard in a snarling pack. And I was just six years old at the time. I'm Grant Lawrence, and this is the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Chapter 2, The Friendship When we looked up from our rowboat while trying to make our getaway, my family was collectively staring down the barrel of a 3 3 caliber rifle cradled by Nancy Crowther, the Cougar Queen. 
She was a heavy-set, stout, older woman with white, unkempt hair that she had attempted to tame into a bob. Her face was broad, pierced with small, dark eyes. Her skin was tanned and weathered, with deep wrinkles crossing it in every direction like a European road map. She wore many layers of clothing, a red and black checkered Mackinac jacket over a knee-length colorless dress and faded yellow apron. Thick wool socks protruded out of her muddy rubber boots, and she handled that gun with a comfort and familiarity that most people her age would show a vacuum cleaner. Who are you and what are you doing here? She asked. My dad apologized profusely for the trespass and tried to explain our intentions in his most calm and charming demeanor possible. He introduced us as new neighbors. After sizing us up for a few more strained moments, the muzzle of Cougar Nancy's rifle soon threatened only her muddy earth. Her dogs were now gathered calmly at her feet. One even nuzzled my rain-soaked jacket, giving his tail a friendly wag. Goats emerged from the orchard as well, and they were the friendliest of them all. Nancy Crowther graciously allowed us to park our car on her property and use her beach to come and go as we needed and we got to know her. She explained to us that she had lived alone just with her dogs and her goats as her only full-time social companions for years. The goats had names like Candy and Tully and Pretty Girl and Sheba. The dogs answered to names like Mac, Hippie, Sally, and Foxy. Nancy explained that her parents died in the 1960s and that her older brother worked on the fishing boats. Only she remained, occasionally receiving visits from her nieces and nephews in the warmer months. Cougar Nancy also explained to us how her family had homesteaded that property in the 1920s and the mistakes they made. Nancy also told us that she faced numerous and constant threats from wolves, bears, and most especially cougars. But far worse, she told us, was them. She was very happy we weren't one of them. A few months after our first encounter with Cougar Nancy, an American back-to-the-lander oyster farmer named Rick Terrell showed up on Nancy's property hoping to launch his boat and received much the same initial welcome that we did. Once Nancy determined that Rick wasn't a threat, she told Rick more about them and how they stole from her watched her, haunted her. Before allowing Rick to launch from her beach to scout out his potential oyster lease, Cougar Nancy made him disconnect his car battery because she didn't like electricity, which had something to do with them. But more on them later.
After our first meeting with Nancy Crowther, my dad rowed us out into the still water of her bay, disturbed only by the falling rain and the rhythm of the oars dipping into the dark water. I peered back over the gunwale of the rowboat in fascination at the cougar lady as she walked across her land, rifle cradled in her arms, the land that she first set foot on when she was just four years old. That story, next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, after the Cougar Lady caught my family trespassing on her property while trying to launch our rowboat for Desolation Sound, my charming father managed to convince Cougar Nancy to lower her rifle and not see us as a threat, but as friends. Nancy then explained to us that threats surrounded her on all sides in her coastal wilderness home, and not just the cougars, bears, and wolves, but something or some people she only referred to as them. Chapter 3, The Beginning Young Nancy Crowther, the future cougar queen of Oakover Inlet, was just four years old when she first arrived on the shores of what would become her wilderness home in British Columbia. Back in the 1920s, enticed by homesteading land programs and promises of cheap virgin farmland grants with rich soil on sprawling acreages, soon known as preemptions, families from all over Europe were invited to make the epic journey to populate Western Canada. In 1927, a young family from Hertfordshire County, England, just north of London, made the long trip over the ocean and across the country to the Canadian wilderness at the edge of the world. The Crowthers, four-year-old Nancy, her 43-year-old father, William, her 40-year-old mother, Doris, and her 13-year-old brother, Richard. The Crowthers first tried homesteading in Alberta, but they found it far too frigid compared to their native England. As the story goes, Nancy's father apparently unfolded a map of the BC coast. He closed his eyes and he put his index finger down. When he opened his eyes, his finger was on a place called Oakover Inlet. And thus, Mr. Crowther sealed the fate and the future for his family. After securing their new land on the west coast of British Columbia, the Crowther family crossed the mountains and made it to Vancouver. From there, they would have loaded up all of their belongings onto one of the passenger ships in the Union Steamship Line. They would have journeyed up the Strait of Georgia, the ship stopping in every little bay and settlement along the way. Eventually, the steamship would have made it to the mill town of Powell River and then the small Swedish settlement of Lund. 
From there, they would have navigated further north on the steamship around Sarah Point and into the waters of Desolation Sound and Oakover Inlet. The Crowthers would have been let off at one of the local landings in the tiny settlement of Oakover, but still about five kilometers from their new land, which they still had to find using a crude map supplied by the land registration office. From that beach, the Crowther family bushwhacked their own trail through thick salal and salmonberry bushes to a remote isthmus of level, low-lying land between two deep and narrow saltwater bays. This was the land that Nancy's father had preempted from the crown, 135 acres for $10. But much of the human population that surrounded the Crowthers upon their arrival in 1927 was a scattering of tough Scandinavian loggers and their families. British folks like the Crowthers, they are often seen as softies and wilderness novices. But Nancy's family couldn't live in a canvas tent forever, so they set to work to build a home for themselves on that isthmus. But according to Nancy's own written notes from years later, things didn't quite work out the way they'd planned. My parents, greenhorns from the city, came to this isolated preemption with no knowledge of the country or its problems. They built their first house in the one and only clearing by the shore, not pausing for a moment to wonder why this one bit of land in a territory almost smothered with forest was beautifully clear of trees. Well, the first heavy wind off the ocean flattened that first house to the ground. Fortunately for us, it blew down the day before we were to move into it. Undaunted, my parents went behind a stand of trees which were to form a sort of windbreak where they found another clearing. Again, my parents did not pause to wonder why this spot was barren of trees either. They built our second home, and when the winter rains came, they found out why that clearing was there. A mighty torrent of water from the hills raged under the house below the back door and roared out again from below our front door. We had to put planks out of either door to reach dry land. And like many European immigrants, the Crowther family also tried to recreate their English garden in the middle of the wilderness. But British Columbia is not the English countryside. Just beyond the edge of their clearing, unseen in the underbrush of the emerging second-growth forest, roamed large predators, the likes of which an English family would have never seen. Cougars, bears, and wolves that were naturally drawn to an easy meal like the Crowther's chickens, goats, and geese. But those beasts of the forest weren't the only threat facing Nancy Crowther and her greenhorn English family. It was the late 1920s. The Great Depression was about to cast a long shadow across Canada that even stretched as far as Oakover Inlet and the Crowther family. That's next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles.
Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, the future Cougar Queen of Oakover Inlet and her family arrived via coastal steamship to her family's homestead on an isolated pocket of land in the coastal rainforest. There they built a cabin to live in, but it blew over in the first windstorm. They built a second cabin, but once the winter rains came, a river ran under it. They began to raise livestock, but their animals quickly became meals for a menacing cougar. Chapter 4, The Depression You would think that the economic depression of the 1930s wouldn't impact families living in distant wilderness outposts in Canada, but the dirty 30s hit hard. Malnutrition and starvation became a reality. It's hard to imagine in a place teeming with ocean life, but in the early 1930s, three children from the inlets ended up in the Powell River Hospital suffering from starvation. Nancy Crowther herself wasn't far behind. One morning during the same bleak period, she was so weak and hungry that Nancy found she could no longer stand. Luckily, one of the family goats freshened with milk for the first time in days, and that milk managed to put young Nancy back on her feet. As the Depression wore on, the Crowther family resorted to digging clams to get by. But once their shoes wore out on the rocky beaches, they couldn't afford to buy new ones. So they wrapped cloth around their feet to protect them from the razor-sharp barnacles. When their store-bought clothes fell apart, they replaced them with garments made out of discarded flour sacks. If life on the coast wasn't hard enough during the Depression, Nancy's father began to have trouble with his eyesight. The family feared that their patriarch was going blind. And Nancy's father knew that he had to teach his family how to shoot their only gun, an old, single-shot 22 caliber rifle, which, besides their dogs, was the only thing they had to keep the cougars, bears, and wolves away from their goats and chickens, which were precious and vital to their health and survival, especially during the 30s. Later on in the decade, one cougar had been repeatedly targeting the Crowther's family livestock. The big cat had killed three of the Crowther's beloved goats, one goat each month, the cougar returning each successive month to take another. Nancy's mother had warned her, never turn your back on the woods. Cougars are silent and attack from behind. They are the ghosts of the forest. Cougars had become such a problem with Sunshine Coast settlers and their livestock that the local government had placed a $5 bounty on cougar pelts, which greatly increased the incentive to kill them. On a warm late summer night in 1939, the Crowthers were enjoying an evening on their porch when their goats started braying and their pack of dogs started barking up a storm. (laughs) 
the cougar had returned. Nancy was now a teenager. She didn't hesitate to grab their old rifle, which by this point was falling apart. It didn't shoot straight, it had a loose wooden stock, and it wouldn't eject the cartridge after being fired. They had to force the cartridge out with a wire before loading it again. That didn't stop Nancy from rushing into the bush with that rickety gun. She followed the barking pack of dogs for over a kilometer through the woods until she finally saw it. In the soft light of the summer evening, her dogs had treed a huge cougar, a majestic and perfect creature. Perched in the limbs of a fir tree, the cougar's tail twitched like a house cat. Its ears were pressed against its head. It let out a screech that made Nancy's blood run cold. And so there was 16-year-old Nancy Crowther, alone in the darkening forest but for her dogs, facing off against her first cougar with a gun that didn't shoot straight. Nancy had been told by a cougar hunter that if she were to ever shoot at a cougar, she should tie up her dogs. But that night, she didn't have any rope. Quickly, she took off her belt and tied up her biggest dog to a small tree. Nancy couldn't do anything about her several smaller dogs, all of which were in a frenzy at the base of the tree. She methodically lay down on the forest floor about 16 feet away from the cougar. She calmed herself as much as she could, and she carefully aimed the rifle. She knew that the old gun shot high, and she knew that she had to shoot for the cougar's vertebrae, right in the neck, just as she had been told by the cougar hunter. Nancy waited and waited until the cougar finally lifted its big head. Nancy only had one bullet. She pulled the trigger. The cougar let out another screech and leapt to the ground. Nancy was certain she had hit the cougar, but then lost sight of it in the bushes in the fading light. And so there was young Nancy Crowther, unarmed, but for an empty rifle, over a kilometer from her home, with a wounded cougar less than 20 feet away from her. What would you do? What did Nancy do? That's next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, a cougar had been targeting the Crowther family's goats and chickens, livestock that was vital to the family's survival during the bleak depression of the 1930s. One early summer evening in 1939, the cougar returned. But before it could attack a goat, the dog started barking and young Nancy Crowther, age 16, grabbed the family's beat-up single-shot 22 caliber rifle that didn't even shoot straight. Nancy and her pack of dogs chased that cougar through the forest until they treed it. 
It was a magnificent, snarling animal, but Nancy was set on what she thought she had to do to preserve her family's sustenance. She tied her largest dog to a tree, steadied herself, and took aim for the cougar's neck. A warning. Some of the incidents depicted in this episode may be unsuitable for some listeners. Chapter 5, The Celebrity. Nancy Crowther pulled the trigger. The cougar let out a ferocious screech, leapt from the tree and disappeared into the bushes. Nancy was on her feet, white-knuckling her now empty gun, and she desperately strained to see through the thick salal bushes where the cougar had disappeared. Nancy's instinct was to run, go home. But the cougar hunter she had spoken to told her that any movement of flight would cause a cougar to attack, especially if you turn your back. Her hound dog that was tied to the tree was going berserk, surging forward until the frothing, barking dog ripped the small tree right out from its roots. The dog went after the cougar, dragging the small tree behind him and disappeared into the bushes. All of Nancy's little dogs followed. That was all Nancy needed to snap her out of her frozen state and into action. She loved her animal so much that she couldn't bear to lose another one to a cougar. Nancy Crowther plunged into the bushes after her dogs. Nancy was fully expecting to find at least one of her dogs being torn to pieces by the cougar, but she was shocked to find the giant cat lying prone on its side, surrounded by her frantic dogs. Fearful that the cougar was just stunned and at any moment would leap up and attack, Nancy pushed her dogs aside and that uprooted tree and swung the empty rifle around in her hands and started smacking the cougar with its wooden stock. It was a chaotic scene. On the third swing of the rifle, the wooden stock broke from the gun. Nancy then used the barrel to hit the cougar until the barrel bent. The gun was ruined, but the cougar's ribs still heaved with life. In a state of panic and survival, Nancy Crowther didn't take her eyes off the cougar as she searched the ground with her hands until she heaved up a large rock from the forest floor. With both hands, she brought the rock down mercilessly on the cougar's head again and again until she was certain the wild cat was dead. At 16 years old, Nancy Crowther had killed her first cougar with a rock. Nancy collapsed beside the huge, tawny, motionless animal, and then a wave of depression swept over her. Nancy knew that the beautiful cougar was only following its natural instincts when it went after her goats. She turned and looked at its huge front paws, the size of saucers. She knew the pelt was worth a bounty of $5, but the cougar was far too heavy to carry, so she spent the next hour dragging it through the forest as night fell. Sweat 
poured from her face, but her spirits began to lift when she thought of her goats and the relief and pride her family would feel when she showed them the massive dead cat. When she finally emerged into the clearing of her family homestead, her parents and neighbors had gathered with lanterns about to set off on a search for her. She had been gone for almost two hours. You can imagine her parents' surprise when young Nancy Crowther, age 16, showed up dragging a full-grown cougar that measured seven feet from nose to tip of tail. After her father and her neighbor examined the cougar in the glow of their lantern, they stood up in amazement. Nancy Crowther didn't realize it in the woods, but Nancy's single rifle shot had struck the cougar directly in its vertebrae. It had fallen from the tree. It never would have fought back, but how would Nancy have known? Later, her father and Nancy skinned the cougar and took the pelt into Powell River for the bounty. Her father couldn't help but tell anyone who had listened about the exploits of his daughter. Soon, the Powell River News caught on to the story, and on August 17, 1939, the paper printed the first of many, many articles on the wilderness adventures of Nancy Crowther. The headline read, Cougar killed with 22 shot by girl. Rifle fires only one shell. Rock used to finish off. The article continued below. Some women are afraid of a small mouse, but here is one young woman who is not afraid to tackle a full-grown cougar. She is Miss Nancy Crowther, exceedingly quiet with a very low, soft voice. No one would suspect her of possessing such courage. And the story goes on to share the details that you have just heard. Nancy Crowther quickly became a local celebrity, even though she didn't welcome it, nor did she really have any time to enjoy it. Just two weeks later, on September 1st, 1939, the news crackled across the radio in the West Coast wilderness. Germany had invaded Poland, which would trigger World War II. The war in Europe's impact would also stretch all the way to the Crowther homestead in Oakover Inlet and cause Cougar Nancy to leave her wilderness home. That's next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, in the late summer of 1939, Nancy Crowther and her pack of dogs treat a goat-hungry cougar. With her rickety old single-shot 22 caliber rifle, she shot the cougar out of the tree, but didn't kill it. With her unloaded gun, Nancy Crowther engaged in a brutal attempt to finish off the cougar. When her gun broke into pieces, she eventually killed the seven-foot-long animal with a rock. She was just 16 years old. Her bizarre and harrowing encounter made the Powell River news, turning Cougar Nancy into a local celebrity. That was until she was swept off the pages by impending events in Europe. Chapter 6 the war years. 
Nancy and her family survived the depression by selling clams from their beaches, fighting off cougars, and relying on their goats, chickens, and their ever-growing garden and orchard for sustenance. But then the news of World War II swept down upon them, crackling over the radio all the way to Oakover Inlet in the West Coast rainforest. Just like the rest of Canada, young men from the Powell River and Lund area rushed to sign up to fight the Nazis, which left many regular day jobs unfilled. Powell River, British Columbia was home to one of Canada's major pulp and paper mills. The first and largest newsprint mill in the West. The machines had to roll on. And when the men left, young women from the area were called upon to keep the mill running. Nancy Crowther was one of those women. For the first time since moving to her tiny homestead in the rainforest, Nancy Crowther left her family cabin and moved to town, returning only to the homestead on the weekends. To get from her cabin to the mill in Powell River, she would walk the 30 kilometers along a bumpy, unforgiving trail past gigantic stumps. It was a grueling six-hour walk to her new workplace at the mill, where she was put to work mill capping and sheet laying. And though Nancy Crowther often felt like a caged animal in the cavernous mill longing for her wilderness home, she proved so proficient at millwork and was so physically strong that it's been said that other mill workers actually asked her to slow down for fear of making the rest of them look bad. Nancy Crowther was paid 55 cents an hour at the mill, which was considered good money in the 1940s. Nancy could make almost $5 in a day, a far cry from the abject poverty she and her family experienced during the Depression. Nancy even joined the Pulp Sulfite Union. Besides the money, Nancy Crowther soon discovered there were other perks to town life, so far removed from the hardships of the wilderness. Just up the hill from the mill was the Patricia Theatre, a Powell River jewel, which still operates to this day and claims to be the longest-running movie theatre in Canada. Before she'd visit the theater, Nancy Crowther and her girlfriends from the mill would excitedly pop into the sweet shop next door for exotic treats like Turkish Delight and Banana Splits before paying their nickel to each find seats in the ornate movie theater. When the lights went down, you can imagine how completely thrilled Nancy must have been to bear witness to Robin Hood, outlaw of Sherwood Forest and his stalwart band, robbing the rich to feed the poor, ready to fight for king, for country, or for maiden fair. The Adventures of Robin Hood, starring Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland in blazing technicolor. It was the first movie Nancy Crowther ever saw. Will you come with me? Sherwood. I have nothing to offer you but a life of hardship and danger, but we'd be together. 
But I love you, Robin. I'd come. Even the danger would mean nothing if you were with me. Back home in the woods on the weekend, her father's eyesight continued to worsen, so Nancy and her mother did what they could. For her part, Nancy continued to bag cougars that threatened the livestock, which meant she continued to receive headlines in the local paper throughout the 1940s. Headlines such as, Girl Cat Killer in the News Again, and Lun Girl Bags Four Cougars in the Same Day, as well as, Crowther kills her ninth cougar at Oak Over Arm. Because she was now making money, Nancy Crowther was able to upgrade from her measly 22 caliber rifle to a much more powerful and accurate 30 30 Nancy Crowther trained her dogs to become so proficient at treeing cougars that they became known as cougar catchers or cougar dogs and the Crowthers began to breed them for neighbors. When the men came back to Powell River from the war, Nancy left the mill and took up a job at the Hudson's Bay Company just up the road. All was fine and life kept humming along until one day, near the end of the 1940s, she was hiking the final few kilometers through the woods towards her family homestead when she smelled it. Looking up, through the trees, she saw it. A thick, black, ominous column of billowing smoke. She rushed up to the crest of a hill on the trail and looked down into her family's clearing with gasping horror. Her family cabin was engulfed in flames. That story, next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, because of World War II, for the first time in her life, Cougar Nancy Crowther left her wilderness home in Oakover Inlet for the long walk to work at the Powell River Mill. Even though she was often homesick, town life treated her pretty well. But one spring day in the late 1940s, when Nancy Crowther was returning home to Oakover Inlet for the weekend, disaster struck. Chapter 7, The Fire At first, Nancy smelled it. Then, she saw it. A thick black column of ominous smoke rose above the tree line. Nancy scrambled up the trail to the top of a hill and looked down in horror upon her family's homestead. The cabin that they had called home since 1927 was engulfed in flames. With her heavy 303 rifle bumping against her back, she rushed and slid down the steep trail to their clearing as fast as she could. 
Her goats and chickens were panicking, running around freely, and her dogs were whimpering at the edge of their orchard. Someone, either her mom or her dad, had let the livestock loose from their pens should the fire spread. Nancy came barreling around the front of the cabin to find her mother and father rushing to and from their well with a bucket and a wash basin to try and douse the flames. Nancy immediately thought of the ocean water that buttressed their homestead isthmus on two sides. But the tide was out. The water's edge was over 100 feet down the rocky beach. Nancy's father, whose vision was very poor, shoved the wash basin into Nancy's hands. Then he surged into the burning cabin to try and retrieve whatever he could. He emerged a few seconds later, choking on the smoke, clutching a leather folder stuffed full of documents in one hand and a screeching, clawing cat in another. He tossed the cat to the grass and it bolted into the bushes. Nancy's father turned around and tried one more time to enter the burning cabin, but the heat was too intense. The buckets of water were useless. Instead, the family turned their attention to dumping water onto the sides and the roofs of their outbuildings. The fire roared out of control and totally consumed the house they had built with their hands and had called home for 22 years. It was over quickly. Within 30 minutes, the entire cabin was a smoldering, flattened, black charred mess. They lost almost everything, and they never figured out what caused the fire. But Nancy and her parents had survived, and so had their animals. Neighbors who had seen the smoke began arriving by boat, and the close-knit inlet community immediately came together to help the Crowthers. Families like the Larsons and the Hendersons and the Rooses and the Parkers all showed up offering whatever they could in the form of food, clothes, and shelter. Within a week, the Crowthers and their neighbors began the work of building a new, larger, and sturdier log cabin for the Crowthers. They collected and split logs to build the house from standing dead snags, so there was no drying out or shrinking after the cabin was built. When the log cabin was completed, it was a beautiful five-room home with large windows that looked out the front to the beach and the bay and out the back to the garden and the woods. It's this cabin that still stands on the little isthmus of land on the shore of Penrose Bay in Oakover Inlet. It's now owned by the Valance family of Powell River Sea Kayak, and they spend every spring and summer living in that cabin. In 2019, that cabin will be 70 years old. But in the late 1940s, with a grand new cabin and a need to replace all of their kitchenware, beds, furniture, and appliances, the Crowthers suddenly needed money again. More than Nancy made at the company's store during the week and more than her parents made from digging clams or selling eggs and honey. But while building the new cabin, Nancy's father came up with a fateful idea with his neighbors for a new crop that would change the course of history for Oakover Inlet and Desolation Sound. 
oysters. Harvesting that crop would also lead Cougar Nancy into a bizarre bare-knuckled brawl with townies. That's next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, in the spring of 1949, Nancy Crowther received a horrible shock when she returned home from work in town to her family's homestead in Oak Over Arm. She found her cabin engulfed in flames. Luckily, her parents had managed to escape the inferno and rescued their livestock, but by the time Nancy got to the cabin, there was nothing more any of them could do. Their home since 1927 went up in smoke and they lost almost everything. Neighbors emerged from the inlets to help rebuild and soon a sturdy log cabin was built. The very one that remains on the property in Penrose Bay, British Columbia to this day. But the Crowthers needed money to replace all they had lost, which according to Nancy is how they came up with the idea of a new crop that would change the fate and the future of Oak Over Arm and Desolation Sound for decades to come. Chapter 8, The Fight. Oysters, that was the idea that Nancy's father Bill had come up with while chatting with another neighbor named Ernie Larson. The oyster that is native to the Desolation Sound area is small and clings flat to the rocks and is very difficult to harvest. But the Pacific, or Japanese oyster, which had been making its way into BC coastal waters thanks to an influx of Japanese fishermen and homesteaders for years, grew in much larger sizes, some as big as a basketball player's shoe. They were easy to pick up, and they multiplied quickly in our warm coastal inlets, especially in Desolation Sound. Nancy Crowther's father Bill and his neighbor were arguably one of the first pioneers to bring in Japanese oyster seeds to the Desolation Sound area. The oysters spread so rapidly that the large white laughing oyster that is ubiquitous throughout our inner coast is not often realized to be an invasive species. Oyster farming took off as a money-making industry in Oak Over Arm and Desolation Sound in the prosperous 1950s. And soon, Cougar Nancy Crowther was spending her weekends being paid to farm oysters for a local processing plant that had opened up across the inlet from her family homestead. By the 1950s, Nancy's reputation for being an unlikely cougar killer was known far and wide. But as noted earlier, Nancy did not welcome her cougar queen celebrity. She was always wary that other people were staring at her and talking about her. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. It was a seed of paranoia that would grow and come to haunt cougar Nancy in her later years. One day, while working out on those oyster floats, she likely suspected this very thing from some of her co-workers, three town girls working on a nearby float. Mary Massales was one of those girls. Here's what Mary Massales had to say about this particular incident with Cougar Nancy 
on the oyster floats. We were busy picking. There were two floats. And she was on one float, and we were on the other float. There were three of us, and three on that float. And Nancy was on that float. Anyway, all of a sudden, something was slung at me, and it hit me in the back of the leg. Oh, God, my leg is bleeding. You know, she threw a starfish. Yeah, and you know how sharp they are. It cut me me wide open in the back. So out of the blue, Nancy had thrown a large spiny starfish at the three girls, which hit and cut Mary, which left her completely bewildered. I don't know why she threw the starfish. It was in the summertime, and we just had running shoes on. That's all I had on, anyhow, and a pair of shorts. And this time my shoe was full of blood. Tiny says to me, don't worry, Mary, we've seen it. Don't worry, don't worry. Say nothing. So I just kept my mouth shut. Mary and the other town girls were dressed in casual summer wear for young women in the 1950s. Shorts, blouses, and sneakers. Cougar Nancy, a child of the wilderness, was in her regular plain dress and rubber boots, a distinct difference between town and country. There were no more incidents on the oyster floats until the end of the day when Nancy Crowther struck again. We had the floats full, time to come back. So she had to ride in the same boat as we did, coming back. So we piled all the the pails in, in the boat. She goes to get into the boat and tiny standing right by the side of the boat, and as she stepped her, lifted her leg up, he, oh, into the suck she went. Ask first. Okay, so just to be clear here, as Mary's friend Tiny was stepping into the boat to take them back to the plant, Nancy, already in the boat, suddenly grabbed Tiny's foot and hoisted her up, knocking her off balance and into the ocean, or the chuck as Mary called it. She was soaked, because she fell into the chuck. And while many considered Cougar Nancy to often be very shy and soft-spoken, an offset to her fearless cougar hunting ways, her family knew otherwise. Cougar Nancy had a temper and was prone to what her family referred to as blow-ups. Those that were around at the time remember that Nancy's calves and biceps were like cannonballs. You didn't want to mess with Cougar Nancy Crowther, and Mary confirmed it. Oh, she was violent. Oh, she was wild. So anyway, we got the stuff all the way back over to the, to the plant. Well, they all, all got out of the boat, all but me. And I'm picking up the... I, I, I got my arm full of this lunch pail and one thing or another. I'm going to get out of the boat. I got a... Here she says to, to one of the boys, she says, take this rope, she says, I got a score to settle with Mary. Well, when I got on the dock, she grabbed me right here. And I had a blouse on. And those days, he used to get our, our blouses that buttoned down the back. Well, she grabbed my... Bu- and I'll come my shirt, I'll come my blouse, and I'm standing in a bra. So she threw it out in the chuck, eh? Then she was going to kill me. So there was Mary Massales standing on the dock at the oyster processing plant in Oak Over Inlet, wearing nothing 
but a bra and her shorts with one of her shoes filled with blood after having her blouse ripped off and thrown into the ocean by Nancy Crowther. But Cougar Nancy wasn't done. With her cannonball biceps bulging, Nancy Crowther charged like a bull at Mary. What did Mary do? What would you do? That story next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, thanks to Nancy Crowther's father and a few other enterprising locals, oysters had been brought into Oak Over Arm and Desolation Sound in the BC coastal wilderness. The invasive Pacific Japanese oysters spread like wildfire and became a valuable crop for decades. In the mid-1950s, Cougar Nancy Crowther worked for a nearby oyster plant. One summer day, she let the social divide between her and her co-workers get the best of her. Mary Masales was one of those girls that Cougar Nancy took umbrage with on the oyster floats. All of a sudden, something was slung at me and it hit me in the back of the leg. Oh God, my leg is bleeding. You know, she's so starfish. After cutting Mary, Cougar Nancy shoved one of the girls into the ocean and when they got back to the dock, Cougar Nancy turned on Mary again. Chapter 9, The Proposal. Oh, she was violent. Oh, she was wild. But when I got on the dock, she grabbed me right here. And I had a blouse on. Well, she grabbed my and off come my shirt. I'll come my blouse. And I'm standing in a bra. So she threw it out in the chuck, eh? Then she was going to kill me. Mary Masales was shocked. Cougar Nancy had just ripped off her blouse and thrown it into the ocean, leaving Mary standing on the dock in nothing but shorts and a bra. Before Mary could react, Cougar Nancy charged at her, knocking her flat onto the dock. As Mary tried to defend herself, Cougar Nancy rained punches down upon her. Meanwhile, Mary's friend Tiny, still soaking wet from being pushed into the water, rushed up to the oyster plant to tell the workers that cougar Nancy Crowther had gone as wild as the cat she hunted. Several men rushed down to the dock. When they got there, they found Nancy dragging Mary towards the water. She was going to drown me. The workers couldn't believe their eyes. There was Nancy Crowther trying to throw a half-naked girl off the dock. They entered the fray. Well, it took three boys to pull her off of me. They grabbed me, and when they got her off, they told me to run. Get in your truck and get the hell <laughs> Mary did exactly what the workers urged her to do. They ran for it. Meanwhile, the workers held on to Cougar Nancy, who struggled mightily, until she eventually calmed down and returned to the quiet and reserved behavior she was mostly known for. The entire incident left Mary Masales perplexed for decades. I don't know why she was mad at me. I hadn't done nothing to her. It was a type of wariness of others that would grow in Nancy over the years. 
Needless to say, Nancy Crowther wasn't seen around the oyster plant after that for some time. Instead, she worked her family's fertile oyster lease on the beaches on either side of the isthmus that their log cabin was built upon. Before colonization, that very isthmus was a Sliamon First Nations site that boasted rich, cultivated clam beds on either side of the isthmus, the evidence of which is still there. Deep middens of ancient discarded clamshells found in the shoreline soil. Many of the modern-day oyster farmers still consider that Crowther family lease to be the very best oyster-growing beach in the entire Desolation Sound and Oak Over area, a region that is now known as Oyster Country Canada. Throughout the 1950s, Nancy Crowther continued to work on her parents' oyster lease on the weekends and work at the company store in Powell River during the week. But Nancy Crowther no longer had to hike the long and arduous 30 kilometers there and back. Averse to getting her driver's license, Nancy Crowther instead cycled the 30-kilometer bumpy road on a dusty red CCM bicycle with big black balloon tires. She was indeed a sight to see in the 50s in her plain country dress, black rubber boots and red checkered Mackinac jacket, bouncing along often with her rifle slung across her back. Between the demanding physicalities of her life on the farm and cycling to and from Powell River, it explains why her biceps and calves looked like cannonballs to the gawking onlookers of the era. There goes Cougar Nancy on her bike again, they'd say. Don't mess with her. Did you hear what she did to Mary Massales? And then, in the late 1950s, there came a gesture that would change the course of Cougar Nancy's life again. A man would ask for Cougar Nancy's hand in marriage. That story next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, oyster farming was booming in Oak Over Arm and Desolation Sound, and Cougar Nancy's family homestead boasted the most fertile beaches in the inlet, which was a good thing, since Cougar Nancy wasn't allowed to work at the local oyster processing plant after attacking a few of her co-workers on the job. Throughout the 1950s, besides oyster farming, Cougar Nancy also maintained a job at the company store in Powell River, cycling the 30 kilometers each way on her bicycle with big balloon tires. And then the unexpected. The tough-as-nails, soft-spoken cougar hunter received a proposal. Chapter 10. The Marriage. Even though Cougar Nancy was growing ever wary of the attention that her cougar hunting ways brought upon her, emotions that occasionally resulted in the odd blow-up and knockdown fight, Cougar Nancy still maintained trusted friendships with her neighbors and her co-workers at the Powell River Company store. 
They'd attend movies at the Patricia Theater, and Cougar Nancy's co-workers would often persuade her to go to the square dances. Square dances were a big deal with the pioneer community. It was a tradition that they brought with them from England. The dances were always a major social occasion held at the gleaming Dwight Hall near the mill or in the Lund Community Hall. Groups of eight dancers would square off, and as the band started up and the caller shouted out the moves, the dancers would rotate. Cougar Nancy was at first a real wallflower at the square dances, but was soon dragged into the fray by her giggling co-workers from the store. As Cougar Nancy joined in, a smile would peek out on Nancy's stern face, and soon Cougar Nancy had all the square dance steps down. At one dance, on every fourth turn, a local fellow named Harry Neve would smile at Nancy, making plenty of eye contact, and would squeeze her calloused hands ever so slightly. But the square dance caller would shout out a rotation, and away Nancy went to her next partner. This dancing courtship continued over a period of several square dances until finally Harry Neve managed to strike up a relationship with Cougar Nancy. And then Harry didn't waste any time. He popped the question. The engagement was short, just long enough for Cougar Nancy's neighbors out in Oakover Inlet to raise a few eyebrows when Nancy's parents informed them that Cougar Nancy, now almost 40 years old, was set to marry. After a quick civil ceremony, Cougar Nancy Crowther became Mrs. Harry Neve. The newlyweds hopped onto a seaplane and took off for a honeymoon at a fishing lodge in Desolation Sound. Upon return, Nancy, now a married housewife, quit her job at the store and lived in a nice, tidy little house in Powell River, while her husband worked at the mill. But soon, Cougar Nancy, a true woman of the bush, began to feel like a caged animal in that tidy little house with the little green lawn, and felt her husband was a selfish man. Why is it an accepted thing that fairness in marriage is not practiced? Cougar Nancy wrote in her journal. Going into this marriage, I was totally unprepared for what was to come. I had been very strictly brought up to believe that one shared one's belongings and didn't keep everything for oneself. What drove Nancy mad was that her new husband was insisting on keeping two separate gardens, one for her and one for him. When Cougar Nancy's parents gave them three bags of manure for fertilizer, Nancy's husband used two and a half bags for his garden, leaving Cougar Nancy with just half a bag of manure. And as you can imagine, that did not go over well with Cougar Nancy. Oh! She blew up, and her husband, Harry Neve, didn't know what hit him. 
I can only say that if I am still married to this man, at this time next year, I will not touch the garden. He can do the entire thing himself and see how he likes it. It was an early sign that the marriage would sadly be short-lived, a relationship some people in town called a disaster from the start. Some said that all Harry Neve was looking for was a nurse with a purse, but instead got a very strong-willed wilderness woman with a rifle. And that rifle stayed close at hand, even in town. Neighbors who had heard about Cougar Nancy moving to Powell River would often seek her help if their livestock or pets were being threatened or killed by cougars. But some folks didn't know anything about Nancy and were sometimes surprised to wake up in the morning to find a pack of barking dogs and a woman with a rifle moving across their backyard. Cheerio, Nancy would call out. Keep your pets inside. There's a cougar on the loose. Came through here just a few moments ago. Neighbors would grab their cats and slam the door. And then, with the entrance of the swinging 60s, Nancy's life would swing upside down one more time, and for heartbreaking reasons. Mrs. Harry Neve of Powell River would soon revert back to Cougar Nancy Crowther of Oakover Inlet. For good. That story, next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, after meeting a man at the square dances, Cougar Nancy surprised many of her family and friends by accepting a marriage proposal to become Mrs. Harry Neve. She moved into town, quit her longtime job at the company store, and became a housewife. But marriage was not bliss for the Cougar Lady. She quarreled with her new husband and accused him of being selfish. And then... Sad news from the homestead in the wilderness would once again change the course of Cougar Nancy's life. Chapter 11, The Divorce. In the early 1960s, Cougar Nancy continued to make the trek from Powell River back out to the family cabin to visit her aging parents, sometimes with her new husband, more often without him. By then, great improvements had been made for traveling up and down the Sunshine Coast. B.C. ferries linked the water-access-only towns of Powell River, Lund, and Seashelt with the rest of the world, and the now-paved Highway 101 stretched all the way up the Sunshine Coast to Lund, the end of the road. Branching off from Highway 101, just before Lund, was the steep and winding Malaspina Road. At the bottom of that road, on a forested hill, you'll find the small settlement of Oakover and the government wharf. 
For decades, Cougar Nancy would head north along that shoreline from the wharf to her family homestead, either by rowboat or overland on a trail winding through the salal, salmonberry bushes and towering cedars. But in the 1950s, the Crowther family had worked hard to create an actual road, eventually sanctioned by the government. The Crowthers logged it, graded it, and maintained it, and their homestead was at the very end of it. Everyone in the area called it Crowther Road, and it wasn't long before the government officially named it so. And it's called that to this day, and Crowther Road has never been paved. Once Crowther Road went in, power lines eventually followed, and for the first time since arriving in 1927, the Crowthers began to have some modern conveniences at the log cabin, like a telephone and electric lights. One morning in the early 1960s, Cougar Nancy was at home in Powell River when her telephone rang. It was her mother who rarely ever used the newfangled telephone. But Cougar Nancy's father had fallen ill and couldn't get out of bed. Nancy and her husband rushed out to the homestead and took Nancy's father to the Powell River Hospital. Sidney William Joseph Crowther died at age 78 years old. Nancy's father was a well-respected pioneer, a homesteader, oyster farmer, logger, community builder, and a longtime volunteer scout leader. He was known for his sharp English accent, his educated intelligence, and his friendliness. He was also infamous for his poor eyesight, omnipresent pipe, and general odor of goats that lingered on his clothing. His funeral at the Anglican Church in Powell River was a very busy one. The death of Cougar Nancy's father hit her hard, and with her marriage already on the rocks, Nancy felt the natural need to spend more and more time with her mother, who was now 74 years old and living alone in the wilderness. There was a huge oyster lease to maintain, and goats, chickens, geese, cats, dogs, and beehives to tend to, not to mention their sprawling garden and all of the trees they had planted over the years. Apples, pears, cherries, hazelnuts, walnuts, grapevines, and more. Many of them now fully mature, producing every year and always attracting hungry bears. Weeks stretched into months. Cougar Nancy's husband back in Powell River was getting fed up and wanted Cougar Nancy to return to him and town living. Cougar Nancy refused, again citing his selfishness. Divorce papers were soon filed, which were considered a rarity in such a small town in that era. Ignoring town gossip, Cougar Nancy reverted back to her maiden name and returned to the wilderness. Cougar Nancy Crowther was back, this time for good and just in time. 
Within weeks of her permanent homecoming to the Little Isthmus in Penrose Bay and Oakover Inlet, Nancy would come nose to nose with what she thought was the biggest, blackest, meanest looking dog she had ever seen. But that was no dog. And the face-off came on a very rare occurrence when Cougar Nancy found herself without her gun. That story next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, the death of Cougar Nancy's father in the early 1960s prompted Nancy to return to her homestead in the rainforest to look after her aging mother. The move also prompted Cougar Nancy and her husband, who was left back in Powell River, to get a divorce after just a couple years of marriage. Cougar Nancy Crowther was back in the wilderness, this time for good, and the adventures continued. And on this episode, you'll hear Nancy in her own words. A warning, some of the incidents in this chapter may not be suitable for some listeners. Chapter 12, The Wolf. One late spring morning in the mid-1960s, Nancy Crowther was sitting on her front porch working on her gun. She had taken a few pieces of the rifle apart to adjust the sights when Nancy's mother emerged from the kitchen with a tin pail. She asked Nancy to pick some of the colorful salmon berries that were ripening on the bushes on the edge of their clearing. Nancy did as she was told, and as usual, a couple of dogs and a few goats dutifully followed along. Nancy picked and picked, which led her and her animals out of the yard and up onto the dirt road. She heard it before she saw it. Nancy told this story to Powell River journalist Murray Kennedy back in 1987. Murray recorded the interview, but the sound on the recording is very rough though we've done our best to clean it up so you can hear the cougar queen of Oakover Inlet in her own voice. Here's what happened next, according to the one and only Cougar Nancy Crowther. And I heard a terrific rushing sound, and he was this huge dog. I'd never seen a dog so big. And it looked like it was black when I first saw it, but it was charcoal gray with black guard hairs. And it had saliva hanging over a foot long of solid. There she is. I told you she was soft-spoken. That is Nancy Crowther herself describing the animal that suddenly appeared on the trail in front of her, her goats, and her two dogs. Nancy Crowther quickly realized this was definitely not a dog, but in fact a very large wolf. Its head was low to the ground, its ears erect, its shoulders hunched, its black lips curled to show off gleaming white canine teeth with, as Nancy described, those thick hanging strands of saliva reaching all the way to the ground. Without taking her eyes off the wolf, Cougar Nancy instinctively squeezed her empty right hand, the hand that usually cradled her rifle. Like someone feeling for her car keys, she moved her hands around her chest to feel for her rifle strap. But the gun was in pieces back on her porch. 
The only thing in her hand was a bucket full of salmon berries. But Nancy stood her ground, staring at the wolf. The goats nervously circled around Cougar Nancy and her two dogs, Tippy and Mac, small terriers that stood sentinel on either side of Nancy. The goats couldn't stand it. They panicked. They tore down the hill as a herd. The wolf's chase instincts kicked in and it sprang into action, brushing right past Nancy's dress after the goats. As the goats disappeared around the corner, the wolf suddenly stopped and turned around. It crouched down and stared back at Nancy and her dogs. The wolf's gaze shifting from one dog to another, ignoring Nancy. Nancy waved her arms and yelled, and the wolf, as if deciding it wasn't worth the bother, slowly turned to go. That was all Nancy's dog Tippy needed to leap forward and start barking as soon as the wolf turned its back. Nancy Crowther picks up the story from here, describing what the wolf suddenly did to her barking dog. It turned around like this and picked it up like a suitcase. And ran off with it, and the little dog was looking back at me and kayaying, kayaying. And I couldn't run fast enough to catch up, and I didn't have a gun, so I couldn't do a thing about it. As the wolf disappeared into the forest with her dog in its jaws, Nancy Crowther dropped the bucket of salmon berries and ran back down the hill and put her gun together as quickly as she could with trembling fingers. She grabbed a handful of cartridges, rounded up the other dogs, and set off after the wolf. They easily found the bloody trail. A few of the dogs ran ahead into the forest, and soon Nancy heard another one of her dogs yelping hysterically in pain and fear. She knew that the wolf had caught another. But Nancy's dogs did give chase, as Nancy details. And the dogs kept after it until we got to another spot where there was much more blood. And they lost complete interest. So as Nancy explains there, once the dogs saw all the blood, they thought better of any further pursuit of the wolf and just wanted to go home. Nancy soon found the carcasses of her dogs, Tippy and Mac. They had both been ripped apart by the wolf. And he had ripped Tippy open, hooked her over in her back, ripped her open, and he was bolting all her insides down. There was nothing left inside. The bowels, the heart, the liver, everything, the lungs, everything was gone. The wolf had quickly devoured the little dogs. And then the wolf emerged, leaping up effortlessly onto the trunk of a fallen fir tree 50 feet ahead on the forested hillside. The way the wolf was panting almost made it look like it was smiling down upon Nancy and her remaining dogs. Cougar Nancy Crowther had a clear shot. She raised her rifle to her shoulder, closed one eye, and cocked the gun. The wolf stared right back at her. And I shot at him, but I missed him. My gun wasn't shooting straight or something wrong. Nancy Crowther's gun wasn't shooting straight because in her haste and the wolf's good fortune, Nancy forgot to adjust the sights when she was putting her gun back together. The bullet screamed by the wolf entirely, but the blast from the gun was enough to cause the wolf to flinch, take one last look at Nancy, and before Nancy could get off another shot, the wolf disappeared into the forest. Just took off like a rabbit. 
Nancy returned to the cabin, collecting the pail of salmon berries along the way, and broke the news to her mother that they had lost two dogs. Nancy and her mother were very close, and they loved their animals. However, losing dogs and goats is one thing. But you can imagine how heartbroken Cougar Nancy must have been when it was her mother who finally passed away just six years after her father in 1967. Doris Crowther passed away at age 80 years old. And so besides occasional visits from neighbors and extended family, now Cougar Nancy Crowther was totally alone on her homestead. But she would soon face an invasion that would prove to be much harder to scare off than any cougar, bear, or wolf. The hippies. That's next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, after moving back to her wilderness homestead to look after her aging mother, Cougar Nancy continued to have plenty of adventures in the rainforest, including a harrowing encounter with a large wolf that had an appetite for Nancy's smaller dogs. At the end of the 1960s, Cougar Nancy's mother passed away, leaving Cougar Nancy Crowther alone in the log cabin at the end of the road. Chapter 13, The Hippies. For all of the challenges Cougar Nancy faced over the years from cougars, bears, and wolves, nothing had prepared her for the scourge that would rattle and skid down her muddy dirt road in waves. The Hippies. I have today ordered to increase our active fighting forces by raising the monthly draft call from 17,000 to 35,000. The Vietnam War raged on the other side of the Pacific, and as had happened with World War II, the impact of Vietnam could be felt all the way to the woods and saltwater inlets of Oak Over Arm and Desolation Sound. Seeking escape, scores of draft dodgers, deserters, freedom seekers, back to the landers and hippies flooded across the Canadian border in the late 1960s and early 70s. In chugging Volkswagen vans, they often drove as far as they could, all the way to the end of the road and beyond. Communes were sprouting up in places like Desolation Sound and the Alder Forests outside of Lund, BC. Cougar Nancy and her family had worked long and hard for years to build and make Crowther Road official, but now it felt like all of her family's blood, sweat, and soil was coming back to bite them. By building that road, the Crowthers had inadvertently provided a path that led the hippies right to Cougar Nancy's front gate. Very much to Nancy's consternation, her beaches were the closest launching point to those hippie communes and nude potlucks of Desolation Sound. (music) 
Cougar Nancy didn't know what to make of the hairy human invasion, which was the first significant wave of newcomers since the pioneer age. Now officially an old timer, Cougar Nancy had very little tolerance for the hippies, but unlike the real wild animals, she couldn't shoot hippies. It didn't help that a huge area of Desolation Sound had recently been declared a pristine marine park. Nancy Crowther complained to her neighbors that she couldn't tell the chaps from the ladies. The now regular arrival of ill-prepared hippies coming and going from her beaches also triggered Cougar Nancy's rapidly growing paranoia of the outside world. In the early 1970s, Nancy Crowther said the following to a reporter from the Powell River News. The stealing by two-legged animals is far worse than the stealing by those on four legs. Someone stole half my supply of honey recently. It's endless what they'll steal. My grain, my hay, my groceries, clams and oysters from the beach. I've moved all of my grain inside the cabin so they can't steal it. It's civilization coming. There are conflicting reports. Were the shaggy newcomers actually stealing from Nancy, or was she becoming delusional? There are two people who can shed some light on this. Terry Plain was a West Coast drifter, and for a time in the 1970s, he lived in a shack on Nancy's homestead, rent-free in exchange for working on Cougar Nancy's oyster lease. He'll never forget his first meeting with Cougar Nancy. All was quiet when he approached Nancy's old log cabin for the first time. As soon as he reached the gate, the dog started up, and soon a very stern Nancy Crowther appeared with that omnipresent rifle. According to Terry, by this time, one of Cougar Nancy's dogs included a hairless Doberman pincher named Blue. Cougar Nancy told Terry in no uncertain terms to beat it. But Terry kept coming back, and after about a month of persistence, Cougar Nancy finally hired him on. Over the course of the next year, Terry Plain worked the oyster lease and lived side by side with Nancy. Besides goats, chickens, geese, and dogs, Terry also noticed that there was an incredible amount of cats living on the Crowther property. But you would rarely ever see them until it was time for feeding. Cougar Nancy would ring a bell and cats would emerge from all sides of the clearing, dozens upon dozens of them gathering at Cougar Nancy's front door to lick up the milk from the goats and chow down on whatever leftovers Cougar Nancy left out for them. But according to Terry, he never saw any evidence of theft, though Cougar Nancy would complain about it all the time. Cougar Nancy was becoming so paranoid that she almost never left her property. She also had a growing aversion to any kind of electricity and often complained of them. The hippies? Terry wasn't sure. One day after Terry had been away for a while, Cougar Nancy fired him, feeling the need to, in her words, 
clear the decks. But it turns out that Cougar Nancy wasn't completely paranoid. Vince Canigan sent this series a note admitting that him and his friend in the late 1970s once snuck onto Cougar Nancy's beach and attempted to steal almost $300 worth of clams. Cougar Nancy Crowther in her checkered Mackinac jacket and rubber boots and rifle caught them red-handed. Vince and his friend apologized profusely, as you would at Rifle Point, offering to put the clams back. But in the end, Nancy told the boys they could keep the clams as long as they promised never to return. It was around this time when my own family first showed up on Nancy Crowther's property, doing what all the hippies were doing, looking for the closest place to Desolation Sound to launch our rowboat. And as you may have heard in chapters one and two of the Cougar Lady Chronicles, at first we received much the same treatment as Terry. But once Cougar Nancy figured out that we weren't one of them, we became friends with Cougar Nancy over the years. It was said that you knew you were on Cougar Nancy's good side when she offered you her trademark cheerio as both a friendly hello and goodbye. Sadly, Cougar Nancy Crowther's fear of them began to completely overwhelm her. It eventually drove her right out of her little log cabin. That story next time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, in the late 1960s and into the 1970s, Cougar Nancy was shocked that the newest threat to her wilderness way of life was arriving on two legs instead of four. Hippies, draft dodgers, deserters, and back to the landers descended into the Lund, British Columbia, and Desolation Sound area in droves, often seeking the end of the road or beyond which many times led them straight to Cougar Nancy's front gate. The influx of what Nancy called civilization began to have a serious impact on Cougar Nancy Crowther. Chapter 14, The Yellow Truck. Changes were occurring rapidly all around Nancy Crowther, and she faced those threats boldly and directly, just as she had done her entire life. Over the years, the Cougar Queen of Oakover Inlet had become such a legend that she allowed various media outlets to interview her so she could get her story out. Nancy Crowther was also a passionate letter writer and would often be seen carrying bundles of envelopes to and from the post office in Lund. Some of those letters appeared in the Powell River News when public meetings were being held over a proposed provincial park on the shore of Oakover Inlet in the late 1970s. 
I can't get into Powell River to the meetings to express my views or to hear other people's views because of the stealing problem I have experienced for over 10 years on my property. I must pay someone to stay so I can leave, and it is difficult to find anyone I can trust. I own a large amount of waterfront. I have experienced this stealing ever since I developed it for oyster farming. I came here with my parents in 1927 when there was no connecting road from Lund to Powell River. There was no road to Oakover Inlet either, only a trail. And in these modern times, I am finding that I wished it was still the way it was. Yours truly, Nancy Crowther, a voice crying in the wilderness. Nancy was somewhat surprisingly in favor of the newly proposed Oakover Arm Provincial Park. When interviewed for the news, Cougar Nancy said that she hoped that the park would mean more law and conservation enforcement, specifically for shellfish poaching on her oyster lease or conservation of wild animals that had threatened her livestock for decades. But she also wondered, who would ever want to use a park on the shores of an inlet in the middle of nowhere? The Oakover Arm Provincial Park was officially opened in 1979, and its entrance is on Crowther Road. Cougar Nancy's problems continued, however, but her complaints had become increasingly bizarre. According to a new neighbor named Selena Smith, Cougar Nancy had a running battle with BC Hydro over the placement of a transformer that Nancy wanted moved further away from her log cabin because it made her toes tingle. Cougar Nancy also had concerns about the electromagnetic rays from the microwave oven at the new restaurant near the government wharf some two kilometers away. And Nancy was also extremely wary of a mysterious black boat that apparently moored in the bay in front of her cabin at night, but was gone each morning. Cougar Nancy also began to loathe her telephone, which was a party line, so it rang often. Nancy stopped answering it completely and eventually disconnected it altogether, effectively cutting herself off from the outside world except for letter mail and in-person visits. When folks like my family arrived to launch our boat from her beach, Cougar Nancy would insist that we disconnect the battery to our car to prevent radio waves from entering her cabin. In the 1980s, Cougar Nancy felt that the mysterious force that she referred to as them had managed to finally get inside her log cabin, the cabin she had lived in since 1947. She once told a story of coming home to mysteriously find a pot on the boil. Another time, her bathtub was full of water. It spooked Cougar Nancy to the point that she covered up all of her furniture in white sheets and moved out, refusing to sleep nights in her cabin, returning only in the daylight. When night fell, Cougar Nancy would stake out her cabin from a tent 
pitched in the woods on her hillside, rifle at the reach as always. When winter came and tent living proved too cold and wet, threats from inside the cabin were still too great for Cougar Nancy Crowther to consider moving back inside. Instead, Cougar Nancy began to somewhat infamously sleep in her beat-up yellow rusty Dodge pickup truck, which she would park haphazardly at dangerous spots along Crowther Road, very narrow and muddy. She would also park up on Malaspina Road, which was very windy. Her truck would often be parked on blind corners or dangerous curves sticking out into the road. Neighbors like Margaret Lettner and Peter Ullman would check in on Nancy, knocking on the driver's side window to see if she was okay. Nancy would be sleeping on the bench seat of the truck with her dogs and her rifle. If Cougar Nancy recognized those visiting her at her truck, she was often kind, gracious, and full of stories, assuring those concerned that she was comfortable. As always, she'd send people off with her trademark, Cheerio! Some suggested that she see a doctor or go to the hospital, but Nancy would always politely refuse. The RCMP visited Cougar Nancy when she was working on her oyster lease, and they did not see any cause for concern. However, some say that Cougar Nancy was sleeping in her truck for up to two years through all manner of weather and seasons. Many of the locals simply attributed Cougar Nancy's increasingly paranoid hallucinations to her wilderness isolation for so many years. There were lots of oddballs and eccentrics at the end of the road, and Cougar Nancy was one of them. In local terminology, Cougar Nancy had gone bush, a supposedly common affliction amongst isolated coastal dwellers or hermits. Stage one of going bush is loneliness and wishing that you had someone to talk to. Stage two of going bush is depression, the realization that you are alone and will have to make do by yourself. Stage three of going bush is resentment, anger that no one cares about you or is visiting you or reaching out. Stage four of going bush is paranoia, that people are out to get you and mean to do you harm. The locals figured that Cougar Nancy was well into stage four of going bush and had been for a while. It turns out the locals were wrong. A car crash in that rusty yellow pickup truck would be the catalyst for finally figuring out what was wrong with Cougar Nancy Crowther. That's next time on the final chapter of the Cougar Lady Chronicles. Last time on the Cougar Lady Chronicles, in the 1980s, Cougar Nancy Crowther's behavior was becoming increasingly erratic. She told others that her mysterious foes, known only as them, had finally invaded her little log cabin, forcing her to move out. 
First, she slept in a tent on the hillside of her property. Then she slept in a rusty yellow pickup truck parked at various random spots along Crowther Road through all seasons for up to two years. Neighbors thought Cougar Nancy Crowther had gone bush. Eventually, everything came to a crashing halt and everything was explained. Chapter 15, The End. I believe that cancer is a result of wrong living. I don't mean evil living, I mean not caring for that most wonderful thing, our body. Worry, stress, overwork, lack of sleep, lack of exercise, and above all, wrong food. We need to face the fact that the body is the temple of our soul, that no magician or doctor can work wonders to completely undo the damage our neglect has caused to our most precious belongings. Our body. That's a journal entry of Cougar Nancy Crowther from sometime in the early 1980s. But as you and I know well, you can live a very healthy lifestyle and still be struck by the ravages of cancer. Throughout her life, Cougar Nancy lived a very rigorous physical lifestyle. She spent most of it outside, in the wilderness, and by the ocean. She was constantly moving and had the muscles to prove it. She grew her own fruits, nuts, and vegetables, and canned the surplus for the winter months. She raised her own livestock for eggs, meat, milk, and honey. When she killed a predator, she'd skin it, butcher it, and can the meat. She also had a big, bountiful oyster farm, and oysters are one of the great superfoods of the sea, packed with nutrients and proteins. So, what was wrong with Cougar Nancy Crowther? On a rare trip into Powell River in the late 1980s, Cougar Nancy got into a car crash in her rusty yellow Dodge pickup truck. Cougar Nancy was seemingly unharmed, as were the occupants in the other car, but the damage to the front end of the yellow pickup truck was enough that it couldn't be driven until fixed. Cougar Nancy's niece Ivy came to the rescue, picking up her Aunt Nancy and asking her where she needed to go. Safeway, Nancy replied, for some needed groceries. Cougar Nancy assured her niece that she could get back to her homestead on her own by taking a taxi. Her niece Ivy has never forgotten saying goodbye to her aunt that day. Cougar Nancy simply got out of the car and walked into the store without turning around to offer her trademark cheerio, which struck her niece Ivy as very uncharacteristic. Ivy later found out that Cougar Nancy had become disoriented in the store and had left and wandered the streets of Powell River confused until someone recognized Cougar Nancy and took her to the hospital. From there, Cougar Nancy was then flown to Vancouver General Hospital, one of the few flights that Cougar Nancy ever took in her lifetime. It was there, in the foreign environment of a large hospital in a modern city, that Cougar Nancy Crowther was informed that she had 
brain cancer and that she had had it for a while. The tumor was large and sadly inoperable. Cougar Nancy Crowther had not gone bush. She had a brain tumor, which explained much of her behavior, her hallucinations, and her paranoia. Cougar Nancy Crowther was moved to an extended care unit in Powell River to live out the last few months of her life. Her extended family would visit, breaking the nurse's orders by sneaking Nancy peanut butter and ice cream, two of her favorites. On June 30, 1990, Cougar Nancy Crowther passed away at the age of 71. Had she lived, the Cougar Queen of Oakover Inlet would have turned 100 in July of 2018. The Cougar Queen had a small graveside funeral in the Cranberry Cemetery of Powell River where both of her parents are also buried. The Cougar Queen's tombstone reads, In loving memory, Crowther, Ethel A. In brackets, it reads, Nancy, a nickname no one living remembers being bestowed, but it clearly stuck from a young age. Engraved between Cougar Nancy's birth year of 1918 and her death year of 1990 is the word Cheerio. An obituary appeared in the Lund Barnacle that summer, written by Margaret Lettner, who wrote that the little town of Lund will always remember Nancy as an extraordinary person. Over her lifetime in the wilderness, Cougar Nancy Crowther raised hundreds of goats, dogs, cats, and chickens, and killed a total of 23 cougars. Most of them with her rifle, one of them infamously with a rock. She had been interviewed by many print and radio media outlets and has been written about in at least a dozen books. Her legacy is also maintained by the official naming of Crowther Road in Oakover Inlet. When the Crowthers first arrived to that little isthmus in Oakover Inlet in 1927, they preempted the land from the Crown for $10. In the early 1990s, the Cougar Ladies' extended family sold the acreage for over $1 million. In the years since, the bulk of that acreage has been subdivided into a 50-lot development called the Penrose Bay Estates, a mix of full-time and summer residents, including Brian Smith, the guitarist of the rock band Trooper, which feels somewhat fitting. Since, as you've heard over the course of these Cougar Lady Chronicles, if she ever felt the need, Cougar Nancy Crowther never hesitated to raise a little hell. Incredibly, Cougar Nancy's 1949 split log cabin still stands. Unfortunately, the cabin was a target for looters and thieves after Cougar Nancy's death. You can imagine Nancy's niece Ivy's surprise when she showed up to check on the cabin and heard noises coming from the attic. There were two people up there, 
rooting through the Crowther's possessions of 60 plus years, and they had already removed many of the cabin's antique windows. Ivy stopped them in their tracks and kicked them out. Nancy's homestead was kept separate from the development and has been owned and lovingly maintained by the Valance family since 1999. When they took possession, they discovered endless jars of canned mystery meats and fruits in the attic, which they had to lower down in buckets, and one large cardboard box containing many of the journal entries, articles, letters, and remembrances that you heard on this series. The property is home base for the Valance's thriving business, Powell River Sea Kayak, since, as Cougar Nancy learned to her great chagrin, it really is the best place for launching for Desolation Sound. Despite Cougar Nancy's celebrity, infamy, and amazing life, filled with far more stories than I can share with you in this series, Cougar Nancy Crowther was for the most part a polite and quiet woman of the West Coast wilderness. She was a wonderful storyteller and, as her niece Ivy describes her, the best person she has ever known. I'm Grant Lawrence, and that is the end of the Cougar Lady Chronicles. My heartfelt thanks to everyone who contributed to this story and to Cheryl McKay, North by Northwest, CBC Radio 1, and to you for listening. Cheerio! The Cougar Lady Chronicles would not have been possible without the memories, stories, photos, documents, and help that came to me from the following people. Many thanks to Rick Terrell, Nikita Johnson and Bert Finnamore from the Powell River Museum, Caroline Visser and Tom Schron from the city of Powell River, Margaret Lettner from the Lund Barnacle, Willow Yamauchi, Barbara Ann Lambert, Murray Kennedy, Brian Doust, Sheldon Ahola, Margaret Jensen, Chris Kelly, Peter Ullman, Terry Plain, the Slyam and First Nation, Vince Canigan, Selena Smith, Lola DeCourt, and Hugh and Diane Moore. I would most especially like to thank the Valance family for maintaining the Crowther cabin and homestead all these years, and to Cougar Nancy Crowther's nephew, Roy Crowther, and to her niece, Ivy Lukey, for their incredible memories and stories of their Aunt Nancy. You can get in touch with me by emailing grant.lawrence at cbc.ca, or you can write to North by Northwest at nxnw.ca. I'm Grant Lawrence. Thanks for listening.